You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, May 20th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor and chief film critic, Chris Evangelista. Hello. Chris, it's been a little while since you and I have done just like a pure news episode. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, since Peter and Brad did a big Star Wars celebration episode yesterday, um, there were enough things that happened yesterday and today that I thought uh, it would be worth sort of rounding out the week with uh, a little roundup of some interesting film news. So Warner Brothers Discovery is aiming for 25 theatrical releases per year under David Zaslav, who is the, the new head of that company. There was a big merger uh, with with Warner Brothers and Discovery, and, and now um, there's going to be a new approach at Warner Brothers. And basically what this means is we could get as many as eight more movies uh, you know, in, in the coming future theatrically released than what we had, you know, like th this past year and the year before that, um, which it sounds like a big deal. And that's actually like the most that they've released that, that would be, if they hit that target number, that will be the most, um, uh, movies that the studio has released, uh, in a year since 2015. So that's like a long time ago now. Um, and uh, Ryan Scott wrote a great article about this at Slash Film, which you could read, but his sort of big takeaway from this was, this is like a huge win for people who love movies. Um, did you have any sense of, uh, what, what was your immediate reaction on hearing this, Chris? I mean, it really depends on what 
movies they're going to make. Like if they're just going to make the same franchise shit, I'm not going to get that excited about this. I also <laughs> like, I read a quote with this, this guy where he was just like trashing, giving Clint Eastwood money for cry macho. And I didn't even like that movie, but it's like, like really you're going to complain about like giving Clint East, like Clint Eastwood is like a legend. Like what are you, mm-hmm. what are you complaining about, sir? I don't know. So I, I'm, I don't, I'm not as, uh, as over the moon about this yet. I, I, I really depends on what kind of movies they're going to pump out. What kind of, you know, how original they're going to be. And, you know, I, you know, they're just going to give us Tom and Jerry too. I really don't, <laughs> you know, I don't care that much. Yeah. That's a good point. And Ryan speculates that because Warner brothers only has a certain number of successful franchises that, um, you know, if, if the studio is going to release 25 movies a year, not all of those are going to be franchise movies. So hopefully that will sort of, um, open things up a little bit more for some more original stuff to sort of slip through the cracks there. Um, but yeah, that, that's a, a very good point because we don't know exactly what David Zaslav's, uh, uh, you know, like the going back to Warner brothers in like the 2010s, um, they were the studio that I most associated with uh, talent relations and like keeping people like Clint Eastwood and Christopher Nolan and Ben Affleck happy and making deals with people and having like, you know, I, I just don't know what David Zaslav's uh, relationship is going to be with these people. If he cares enough about, um, yeah, like you said with that cry macho example, just like sort of uh, almost taking one for the team in order to keep uh, keep a, a relationship with a legendary filmmaker, um, you know, uh, uh, active and, and working. So, um, yeah, it'll be curious to see what happens there. Already there's been some some movement on this because the Wonder Twins movie has been scrapped at HBO Max because they decided like, oh, this movie is going to cost $75 million and just doesn't really make sense to be a streaming movie. Um, and they don't, I guess they don't want to up the budget to make it uh, a theatrical movie. So um, I'm sorry, Chris, I know you're probably going to spend all weekend, like, you know, <laughs> pouring one out for the Wonder Twins movie. I was really <laughs> looking forward to the Wonder Twins movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. And yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think there's a lot to be um, potentially excited about here. And, and I really hope that it goes that way. But yes, if, if every single one of those slots ends up getting filled with something uh, familiar, I think that will be a bit of a bummer. So, um, okay, let's move into uh, a, a new show is, is I guess, in the works at Disney Plus, the very early stages here. But what do we know about this? Chris? Yes, there uh, is going to be a new Daredevil series at Disney Plus. Um, uh, Matt Corman and Chris Ord are writing it. And if you've never heard of them, they created the show uh, Covert Affairs, which is like, really? That's you're going to get to write your Daredevil show? But uh, what do I know? Um uh, we don't really know a whole lot about this. We don't even know if Charlie Cox, who of course played Daredevil on Netflix and had a cameo uh, as as Matt Murdock in um, Spider Man, uh, uh, Christ, what's that one called? No, no Way Home. home. Yeah. I, I get them all confused. Uh, so th- th- it's not confirmed whether or not he's returning. I mean, it seems kind of likely that he's returning since you know they had him in that cameo and everyone associates him with that role now, but. Uh, it is interesting that the official report has no mention of him. He's returning, which seems to suggest they haven't, they maybe haven't closed a deal with him yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's in the early stages, but um, it, it does seem to be happening. And I assume that Vincent D'Onofrio would probably uh, be worked into this in some way. I don't think he's listed as being officially a part of the show either though. Right. Yeah. He's not confirmed either. Although he did. Um, 
appear in Hawkeye. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so did you watch the the Netflix version of Daredevil? I did. I did actually watch it. Okay. So I tapped out after I think one or two episodes or something. I've heard, you know, good things about the show. I just, it wasn't for me at that time in my life or whatever the the case was. Um, I actually heard that that the second season was better. So what's your overall vibe on like the the, um, Netflix version? And then what do you think a Daredevil show might look like on Disney Plus? Do you think there's going to be a big difference there? Yeah. You know, I kind of like the Netflix version. I do think it eventually ran out of steam, but I kind of liked it for the most part. Um, I don't really know what, you know, a Disney version is going to look like because that the Netflix version was, was pretty damn dark and violent and, and sexual. And I just can't imagine anything on Disney plus being like that. Like Mm -hmm. even the Marvel shows on there when they do occasionally get uh, quote unquote dark, they're really not that dark. And the, the Netflix version was, was I would say pretty R rated, and I just can't imagine anything R rated on uh, <clears throat> on Disney Plus. So yeah, I, I I have a feeling they're gonna I don't want to say dumb it down, but what maybe water it down a bit, lighten it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's gonna be a bummer for a lot of people because like the I think like you said the the Charlie Cox. Um, incarnation of this character has become like the version of daredevil for an entire generation of people. And for those people to have, what was it? Three seasons or something of, of daredevil, right? Was three or four. So make it. Okay. So like multiple seasons of a show um, to watch and, uh, you know, over and over again and really like fall in love with that character. And then for there to be a huge tonal shift um, because like uh, we've talked about before, like the Marvel TV and Marvel uh, the MCU were kept separate for a long time. They were under like different divisions. And I think Jeff Loeb was running the Marvel TV unit. Now all of that, all those barriers have been knocked down and Kevin Feige like oversees the whole thing. So he, I'm sure is aware of, you know, what kind of uh, tone that, that first um, iteration had. And I'm yeah, really, really curious to see if he's going to be able to make Disney plus, um, you know, <laughs> like how far you can push the boundaries of, of what he can get away with on Disney plus. So, um, yeah, that's something that I think a, a lot of people were going to be speculating about for, for quite some time, because it sounds like this, you know, if no deals are in place yet, we're not going to see the show for at least a year, if not well, you know, well beyond that. So, um, okay. So speaking of, uh, Marvel, uh, people who've directed Marvel things, um, WandaVision director, Matt Shackman has been uh, named as the director of the first two episodes of Godzilla and the Titans, which is the uh, streaming show that is coming to Apple TV Plus that is set in the world of uh, the legendary MonsterVerse, which includes movies like 2014's Godzilla, um, Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. So um, Matt Shackman is a guy we've talked about a lot before, not only in our WandaVision discussions, but he has directed a bunch of episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He directed several big episodes of Game of Thrones. He's a really good director. Um, The synopsis of this show is following the thunderous battle between Godzilla and the Titans that leveled San Francisco and the shocking new reality that monsters are real. The MonsterVerse series will explore one family's journey to uncover its buried secrets and a legacy linking them to the the secret organization known as Monarch. So um, I don't remember, Chris, if you and I have talked about the existence of the show before, but uh, I think you're kind of a fan of these MonsterVerse movies, or some of them, anyway. Am I am I right about that? Yeah, I like some of them. I uh, I thought 
I, I I think the the god the first god not the first Godzilla obviously but the first Godzilla <laughs> in this series uh, I think it has its moments. Its human characters are, are awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Kong Skull Island was fun for what it was. Uh, I thought King of the Monsters was awful, and I thought uh, Godzilla versus Kong was fun. So yeah, they're sort of like all over the place, but I'm not against them. Yeah. So the uh, I guess the position on the timeline for this series sounds interesting because it's like the shocking new reality that monsters are real. And right after the uh, San Francisco uh, battle and all of that, it sounds like this takes takes place in the immediate aftermath of 2014's Godzilla. So there's a lot. um, I I guess now we're, we're mining the legendary monster verse for like, we're doing the, uh, the Obi-Wanification of, of this film franchise now, which seems like, maybe a little bit too much too soon, you know, maybe just continue on with these movies instead of um, exploring every nook and cranny of like, is there really enough people out there who, who really care about like the in-between aspects of what happens in between these movies? I guess we'll find out, but um, what what do you think about the potential of a, you know, sort of uh, four quadrant, huge budget type of franchise storytelling like this coming down to the world of streaming where presumably they're going to have to uh, shell out a lot of money to for the CG and 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 yeah effects and all that kind of stuff. Um, I know that you know we've got House of the Dragon and Lord of the Ring, you know the the new Lord of the Rings show coming. So this is not like a new thing by any stretch of the imagination. But with this particular franchise, what do you make of it jumping you know from the the big screen to the small screen? Yeah, I have kind of a bad feeling just because I feel like they're going to have to make it primarily about the human characters. And as I mentioned, the the human characters in this franchise have all been kind of boring as hell. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they find a way to make them more interesting for the show, but so far I have not been very impressed with any of the humans. And, you know, it's also going to be weird to just have to see these giant monsters on a smaller screen. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I feel like they were made for the big screen and it's just, I guess, just a sign of the times that this is, this is where everything's going to end up at this point, where if, if it's not Marvel, it's going right to streaming, I guess. That's that's the future we've built for ourselves. I hope you're all happy out there. <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully, uh, I, I don't know, maybe David Zaslav's uh, Warner Bro- new, new approach to theatrical at Warner Brothers will help um, sort of uh, very slowly... Um, turn the what's it called like the uh, the rudder on the the giant ship that is yeah. hollywood and maybe help uh steer the ship in a different direction but um just before we jump off this uh chris black who has worked on star trek enterprise and outcast is going to be the co-showrunner of this series along with matt fraction who uh, worked on hawkeye and, and wrote he's a comic book writer primarily and, and wrote um a really like well-respected uh run of hawkeye so um yeah, hopefully the the script will be uh, worthwhile there, and we won't get saddled with like the um, Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, Elizabeth Olsen. I mean, th- those those two actors are like way better than the material that was given to them in that 2014 yeah, movie. So absolutely, and Brian Cranston is in like two minutes, and then he dies, yeah. and it's like, oh, <laughs> all right, uh, okay. So uh, what, why don't you uh, take the lead here on our last story of the day? Yes, yeah, so there is going to be a new Ocean's Eleven movie or a film in the Ocean's franchise. Uh, this is going to be a prequel. Um, it's going to be set in 1960s Europe and it's going to star Margot Robbie with Jay Roach, who directed uh, 
Austin Powers directing. And um, that's really all we know right now. You know, we know it's a prequel. We know it's in the sixties. We know it's Margot Robbie. Um, And I don't know how that works really. Like if it's a prequel to the, the Soderbergh films, it seems weird to set it in the sixties because those characters would all be like not born or children in the Mm sixties. And I, I think like, like the lesson from the oceans franchise is the thing that makes those movies work is Steven Soderbergh and to hand it over to, to Jay Roach is like, really? That's the best you can do because <laughs> you know, we've been down this road before there was oceans eight, which had a great cast, a really great cast and was just kind of boring because it was, I don't even remember who directed it. What the hell was that guy's name? Uh, I want to say it was Gary Ross. Is that right? Yes. It, well, it's like, yeah, no, he's no one's idea of like a good, like we got to get Gary Ross for this. <laughs> like, I mean, and like, uh, you know, I actually, I interviewed him for the movie and he was a really nice guy, but the movie was boring. I'm sorry. And to, to take such a cool cast and you know, a heist movie and make it dull is kind of a, like a, a, a huge missed opportunity. And, to, to try it again and then once again without Steven Soderbergh is it just seems like a, a mistake to me. Um, maybe it'll turn out well. You know, I, you know, I like Margot Robbie. I like the, the idea of setting it in the 60s and stuff like that. But it just seems like why not just make a whole new heist movie, I guess, is my yeah. question. And I know the answer. It's because everything has to be based on something else now. Because, again, mm. this is this is the world we've built for ourselves. But. It's like, why not just make a new 60s heist film with Margot Robbie? That would be really cool. Why does it have to be part of the Oceans series? Yeah, Oceans 12 kind of had, uh, you know, like the um, the original, or not the original, because that was came out in, what, the 50s or something with the Rat Pack. So like the, the 2001 or whatever year it came out, the Oceans 11, had that kind of throwback to the Rat Pack vibe. And and then Ocean's 12, I thought kind of had like a 1960s vibe to it, even though it was set in a contemporary period. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to actually go back to 1960s Europe because that, that automatically makes things, period pieces in general, automatically are way more expensive because you have to do so much set dressing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, and then, yeah, you bring up a really interesting point about the characters' ages. Like, the thing when you're saying they're kids, the thing that immediately came to mind is like the opening minutes of uh, the Brothers Bloom, the um, yeah. Brian Johnson movie, where there's like these two brothers who are you know ten and twelve years old, like pulling cons on a small town or whatever. Um, I doubt it's going to be yeah. that, but like that would be kind of hilarious for a whole movie. So the only thing uh, I can think of is there are like those like Elliot Gould and uh, Carl Reiner who's oh, with yes. us. They were part of the so maybe it would be like they would show up as younger men, but. I don't know. It just yeah. seems. I'm sure it'll be like it's gonna be like it's me, Carl Reiner, but I'm younger. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and yeah, like Margot Robbie, you know, she's no stranger to con movies. She was in uh, what's that one with Will Smith? Uh, uh, Focus. Focus. Yeah. Um. So you know, she's done this kind of thing before, and and the period piece vibe, but like that part of it sounds cool. I, I'm sure I would love to see Margot Robbie like strutting around trying to you know pull heists in 1960s Europe. But yeah, the the um the fact that this is an oceans movie when it kind of sounds like it doesn't necessarily need to be and then Jay Roach's involvement like I, I guess he recently directed her in Bombshell which I never even bothered yeah. to see because I heard such mixed yeah. things about but. get the hell out of here no one likes <laughs> Bombshell um yeah I'm I'm trying to I'm struggling to uh to to come away with like a, a full positive on this so you know maybe Although like I guess you said, like if it's gonna be oceans someone has to be 
Oh shit! So maybe Margot Robbie's gonna be like George Clooney's mom. Or how old is oh, George? Yeah, George Clooney's like what? He's like sixty something. Now? Yeah, I would guess he's like sixty-two years old. Let's yeah. See so I so up. yeah. So how old was he in the in the sixties? Was he? I don't. I have no concept of time. George Clooney right now is sixty-one years old. Uh, he just turned sixty-one, he, and then he, he was born in nineteen sixty-one. So yes. if this is set in like the mid sixties. She could have like a young son who is George Clooney. Yeah. And at the end, she's like, one day you'll grow up to pull heist, son. <laughs> uh, well, yes. I Hopefully, that's exactly what the Ocean's <laughs> Eleven freak is. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you, uh, especially to Ryan and Peter, for sort of helping me out while I was out for uh, for the, the podcast schedule this week. Ryan did a great job running solo earlier in the, in the week by himself. Um, so yes, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this week of today's episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Right now, all stock outlets with USB ports are on sale. Ditch the need for bulky USB adapters. Upgrade your home with features like ultra-fast charging, allowing you to charge your smart devices up to 40% faster than standard USB outlets. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all the great deals happening this week. Save big money.